Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. In the Gospel of John, and you probably already know this, if you've been a Christian for some time, been a student of God's Word, you will know that Jesus makes seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John, followed by a description of who He is. The I Am statements further our understanding of Jesus' ministry here on earth, what he provides for us spiritually, and it's also a link to God's revelation in the Old Testament. And so before we look at these I am statements today, and again, we're going to cover these, uh, you know, a lot of people do a series and cover one at a time. We're covering all seven this morning, but the goal is to give you enough so that this week when you get in your time alone with God and your Bible reading that you'll go a little bit deeper and see how the Lord speaks to you concerning what Jesus says of himself and what the scriptures reveal. Now, before we get into this, we have to set them in the background of Exodus chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. Write the scripture down. And in verse 14, you all remember now, right? Moses out there shepherding. All of a sudden, he sees a burning bush, and it's God speaking to him. And God says, look, you're going to go deliver my people who are in bondage to Egypt from Pharaoh and from Egypt, and you're going to be the instrument. And so Moses has a shepherd's staff, and naturally his, his question is, well, who do I say sent me? In other words, look, you're telling me to go do the impossible. You know, they're going to say, who do you think you are and who you sent by, right? Authority was a big deal in Bible times. You know, okay, you're going to tell me something. Tell me who sent you. By what authority are you coming in? Right? And so in Genesis chapter 3, after Moses asked that question, it says this in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now God reveals his name to Moses. And I am is translated from the Hebrew word ayeh, which is the first person form of Yahweh. This is self-revelation of God saying, I am who I am. In other words, he's going to be whoever Moses needs to be at that time. Now in the Old Testament, over and over again, we see Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh in the Hebrew. That's the third person. When we say Yahweh, we're saying he is. It would be kind of like saying he is Walter Colas. When I introduce myself, I would say I am Walter Colas to reveal my identity. That's what God does to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He reveals his name to him and he identifies himself as a self-existent, eternal, sovereign one who is independent of his creation, totally self-sufficient, and he's always present. He's always present. That's what gives me hope, you guys. I can wake up tomorrow morning. I don't care what the newspaper says. I know God is there. I know God is there. I know he was there yesterday for me. I know he was there last year for me. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's not a time where God 
bows out. God is always present at all times. That's why in Isaiah it says he knows the end from the beginning. Not the beginning to the end, but he's already been to the end, amen? And that's what gives you and I hope today. Because that I am, that I am, is always there for us. That I am is God who's independent of creation, totally self-sufficient, all-powerful, almighty. He is always there for his people. And all through the Old Testament, we see God making promises. And that I am is so important for those promises to be fulfilled. Now, we're in John chapter 8. This is where we're going to begin this morning. And what I want you to see here, because we're going to have to move quickly, all right? How many are ready to move quickly? Put your seatbelts on, all right? How many have your seatbelts on? All right, good. All right, so in John chapter 8, Jesus, as was normal in his life and ministry, is in another conflict with the religious leaders, all right? And here's what I want you to see. We don't have time to cover that whole chapter, but look at verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's bad English, right? I am, but what Jesus is doing is he's telling the religious leaders, I am God. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses will argue this, and they even change in their New World Translation to I was, but the Greek does not say that. It says, ego am I. And we see that over and over again where Jesus says, I am, I am. And it's no different here. That's bad English. And when they say that Jesus or anybody says that he wasn't identifying himself as God in that passage, then tell me why verse 59 exists. So when they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did they pick up stones to stone him? Because he was committing blasphemy in their eyes. They didn't believe who he said he was. Now listen, every Jew there would have connected that with the conversation that Moses had back in Exodus chapter 3. That's why they picked up the stones, because they knew what that name was. They knew that he was identifying himself with the same person that talked to Moses at the burning bush to go deliver the people out of their bondage in Egypt, all right? So that's where we start today, where Jesus is the I am. Now, there's going to be seven statements that he makes. Now, I want you to understand this, that when Jesus applies the title I am to himself, He's not a helper to God. He's not claiming to be a helper to God. He's not claiming to be a great teacher, but he's the divine, eternal, pre-existent, infinite, perfect being, God himself incarnate. That's what Christmas is all about. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John are best understood in light of the initial claim that Jesus makes here in chapter 8, along with God's self-revelation in Exodus chapter 3. You have to connect the two. And then when you start to read these I am statements, they take on a whole lot more meaning. Now, remember why John wrote his gospel? Mark Strauss had said it. He brought it up. Every gospel writer has a purpose, and John's no different. He said this in John chapter 20. In verses 30 to 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
Christ, Christos, the anointed one, the promised Messiah in the Old Testament, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we know that there was a reason why John recorded certain miracles. It was to trigger us to believe that he is the anointed one, the Son of God. So oftentimes when you see an I am statement that Jesus makes, he either did a miracle before, proving his identity, or he did one afterwards, preventing his identity. And you're going to see that as we jump into these I am statements. But let's start with the first I am statement, and it is, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Turn to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and what we're going to do, we're going to connect this with the Old Testament passages. You remember? I said the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. God's incarnate in the New Testament, God in the flesh, Jesus come to dwell among us, but in the Old Testament, everything pointed to Jesus and what he was to do in his work and his ministry that he was to accomplish on our behalf. Now look at the person next to you and say, Jesus did this for you. Some of you didn't do that, so I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a mulligan. Turn to the person and say, Jesus did this for you. All right. Now, let me tell you what's happening in John chapter 6. He's talking, the whole chapter is really about bread and everything else. And look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, let me give you the Old Testament background to that, what Jesus was talking about there when he says, I am the bread of life, and he's going to bring this up in just a moment. But after God delivered the people from their bondage in Egypt, you all know the story, Exodus is a big one. Exodus means just that, that they're departing out of Egypt, and they're going. The problem is they're going to somewhere they've never been. They're going into territory they've never trekked on before, and God's going to have to provide, and God's going to have to lead them. Now, in Exodus chapter 16, you can look it up right down the reference. In Exodus 16, I want you to read that because this is the background to what's happening, all right, what Jesus says. In Exodus 16, the people begin to complain, all right? You know, I know you would never do that after, you know, you've been delivered from a miraculous deliverance by God, parts of the Red Seas, everything else. You are a miracle, all right? Turn to somebody and tell them you're a miracle, and you better obey this time, all right? So if you've come to Christ, right? So here they are, right? As humanity always is, things are going okay for a while, but then what happens when things turn bad? We begin to grumble and we begin to complain. That's what was happening in Exodus chapter 16. They start to get hungry and they're like, man, we got no food. In fact, they're, they're throwing accusations at God. Think how ludicrous this is. They said, you brought us out to the desert just to starve us. You know, we had meat in Egypt and all this stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, you think that God defeated Pharaoh. He defeats his army, miraculously parting the Red Sea and everything. And you thought God did all that just to bring you out here to die. Sometimes you, we're like that, right? Things go a little bit rough. We get the pink slip at work and we're like, God, you know, where's our trust? People who tell you that God will never give you more than you can handle are a liar. God always gives us more than we can handle so we can depend on him. 
Now, when it comes to temptation, he's going to open up the door, and you're never tempted beyond what other men are, 1 Corinthians 10. But listen to me. God always puts us in positions to bring us to a dependency on him, not to complain and grumble, because complaining is a lack. It shows where your heart is as far as trusting God. Right? 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 All right. You guys are with me today. So in verse 4, here's what it says. In Exodus 16, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And understand this, please. God had a real purpose. You know, he wasn't throwing guys on a rack and trying to stretch them to torture them. God isn't a torturer with his people. He's always trying to teach you and I. And so he had a purpose for them going through the wilderness before they were going into the promised land. They're coming out of a polytheistic culture that served every God possible, and they needed to see the power of God displayed so that when they get into Canaan, a pagan land, they would learn to trust God. All right, so Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How many promises do we have in Scripture if you're not reading the scripture, you won't know what I'm talking about. But when we go through trials, I always look for something, man. I'm reading God's word and saying, Lord, and sometimes nothing's ministering to me at that time. And you just keep reading. But there's always these promises of God. He didn't bring us out of Egypt to leave us in the wilderness to starve us. And let us die. He provided miraculously. Listen to Psalm 78, verse 23 to 25. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels, and he sent them food in abundance. By the way, that's your first reference of angel food cake. Says the bread of the angels. How many like angel food? I'm like, right on, man. God's even given them dessert, right? No, that's not true. So Jesus is the full fulfillment of this bread of life situation, though, this bread that the people needed in the wilderness. And you have to understand, God was providing them for their physical needs for the moment. And the real issue is it was a life or death situation because they couldn't provide for themselves. You understand that? Israel wasn't going to produce their own manna. They weren't going to produce their own bread. They're in the wilderness. Three million people are in the wilderness. And so it was a life or death situation there. And the point is this, that God is providing for them, a miraculous work to meet their physical needs. But listen to me. All of these I am statements are going to point to a greater reality that's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So what was temporary and physical, which most people focus on, God's more concerned with the eternal. So Jesus is the bread from heaven that provides eternal life. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people with barley loaves and two fish. So, so listen to this. Jesus saying, I am 
the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Now listen to this. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so in John chapter 6, verse 47, listen to these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. All right, listen to me. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. That's why I say it's a tragedy to feed the homeless without sharing the gospel. I would rather people go to heaven a little bit hungry than to go to hell with their bellies full. All right? So the greater reality is what Jesus is saying is, man, look, you guys need eternal life. You're focused on the physical, but what did he do? He feeds 5,000 people with two loaves. I mean, five loaves and two fish. He does the miraculous. So when he says he's the bread of life, I can trust that. I can trust that. He is the source, right, of everything we need here on earth, but also what we need for eternity. All right, now, the next statement, because we have to fly through this a little bit, Jesus is the light of the world. Go to chapter eight, right? Go to chapter eight, and I want you to see this. His second I am statement followed by a description of who he is. That's what we're focusing on. Remember, in John, he says a bunch of I am statements, but he's using these. These seven we're talking about are followed by a description of what he is to us. Okay, so... I was going to say something, but it slipped my mind. There was a thought there. Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me give you what the fulfillment of that is. Now, there's two Old Testament passages I would point you to. The first one is the opening verses in the book of the Bible, the entire Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, we read these words in verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Underline those words, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's first time light was in existence here, and it was to provide in the darkness. How many of you would hate to wake up every day and just be dark outside? I mean, to where you couldn't even see, and you know, no invention of the lights and everything else. Light is a beautiful thing. I mean, when you came in this morning, right, the lights were on. You could read your Bible with the light. Light penetrates the darkness. Now, I want you to see this. The Gospel of John begins with the same words as the whole Bible does in Genesis 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, that's why I know there's a connection here. Now let's read verses 1 to 5. It's on the screen. You write them down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's speaking of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, let me say this. When you read through the Gospel of John, you're going to find Jesus in constant conflict with darkness. 
The religious leaders are darkness. In fact, John chapter 3 says that men don't come out of the darkness into the light because they love their evil deeds. So Jesus is the light here. Now in the Old Testament, it wasn't just Genesis 1 that John was making the connection with. But he was also making it on their exodus when they were leaving out of Egypt once again It was God that was leading and providing for them, right? Some of you know the story. Now, as they were going, he led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. Now listen to these words, Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 to 22. It says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the Lord. It took God's leadership to guide and direct them to get them where they were going. And light was a big part of that. I've seen people drive without lights. You see somebody on the freeway and you're like, man, that guy didn't have his lights on. You're pulling up, honking your horn. They're just driving, you know, probably come from the bar or something. But how do you drive in the dark? How do you find your way in the dark? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness anymore. That suggests that prior to Christ, you were walking in darkness. And I'll get to more of that down the road. But he's the fulfillment as the light of the world. Light is used in the Bible as a moral sense. It reveals what God's directives are. That's why the word of God is so important. David said in Psalm that your word is a lamp unto my feet. So God reveals his will to us in his word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. But also light reveals who God is. Bible says even in 1 John that God is light. In him there is no darkness. When Jesus comes and says, I'm the light of the world, He was telling the religious leaders, this is the way God wanted you to live. And he was in constant conflict with them. You and I can determine the will of God. We can find the direction we need because he will shed the light on that. Do you understand that? But he also reveals who God is. That's why in John 14 he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So light is both revelation into his word. How do you know what to do is right? How do we know that it's wrong to go to a strip club? How do we know it's wrong to get drunk? I mean, the culture does so many things. How do we know? Well, God reveals that. We've got his word for a moral compass to get through the forest of sin in this world, but we also have Jesus as the revelation of God. No one else can say that. No other religion has their leader that reveals who the true God is. Jesus is the light. Now, if you were to keep reading, I would encourage you to do this. Jesus says he's the light of the world. What does he do in chapter 9? One of the first things he does is heals a blind man who was blind from birth. And they pull him in before the religious leaders are attacking. They are in such darkness, even with the signs that point to who Jesus is. Here's a guy blind from birth. Jesus heals him. 
and they're like grilling the guy, you know, put a lamp under his face and let's just, let's work him over a little bit and we'll get out of him what we need to get out of him. He says, all I know, I don't know who that guy is, but I was blind, but now I see. (laughs) How many can say that, man, that before Christ, right? I remember the day I came to Jesus and surrendered and quit fighting, man, I don't know, man. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. I didn't know theology. I didn't know none of that. All I know is this man, Jesus, he healed me. Amen. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.